Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Kevin Vost. He is an author of over 20 books, including How to Think Like Aquinas. He's taught psychology at Aquinas College in Nashville, Tennessee. He's also a member of the Research Review Committee of America Mensa, which promotes the scientific study of human intelligence. And we're going to talk today about a new book that Kevin has called Aquinas's Lenten Meditations, 40 Days with Angelic Doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, put out by Sophia Institute Press. And uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon Jeff. Well, obviously, it's very, uh, very timely to have uh, uh, Lenten meditations, but maybe, and you know, since you wrote a, you know, the book Aquinas, you know, how to think like Aquinas, maybe we can talk a little bit about him, so that people can get a better understanding and a better appreciation for just not only about how intelligent he was, but how faithful he was. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I should make clear, yeah, I've, I've written a lot of books, and several of them have been directly about St. Thomas Aquinas and his works. But this particular one, the uh, Lenten Meditations, this is the first time I've done interviews on a book that I did not write. This is actually you know, pulled explicitly from Thomas himself. So I'm acting uh, as the spokesperson for Sophia, describing this book, wonderful book to people. And part of the reason is that St. Thomas Aquinas had such a profound impact on uh, on me. I spent 25 years of my young adulthood as an atheist, though I was raised Catholic. And then it was reading St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, reading his works and being stimulated by the Holy Spirit that led me back to Christ in the church. So I have a real passion about trying to spread the good word of St. Thomas. But, but in general, you know, Thomas lived in the 13th century from approximately 1225 to 1274. He was a Dominican priest. He was a great uh, professor at the University of Paris, the foremost university in the world at the time. So he, he taught a philosophy and, and theology. He was also, as a Dominican, he was a preacher. So he preached to common people, too. Uh, but he had a profound impact on, on the church. Uh, what impacted me so much is Thomas was one of the great masters that integrated uh, faith and reason. So, so if there are people, like some modern people, that feel somehow, you know, reason or science is something opposed to faith and religion, you know, Thomas is the man uh, to go to. He's the one who freed me from that delusion because, because Thomas was a thinker, you know, par excellence, uh, a truly brilliant, brilliant man, but he was deeply in love uh, with Christ and the faith. So when you read St. Thomas Aquinas, you get the best of reason. You get the best of the ancient philosophers, Plato and Aristotle. Uh, and the Stoics, but you're also getting deep, deep look into Holy Scripture and also into the teachings of all the great theologians and church fathers who came before St. Thomas Aquinas. So so he is a monumental figure. Uh, many of his writings are very challenging because they're very, very deep, but this particular book, the Aquinas' Lenten Meditations, is also a very, very beautiful way to be introduced to St. Thomas Aquinas because it's relatively very simple and straightforward. It is, and it's very, you know, it's it's a great uh, something to read early in the morning before, you know, as you start from Ash Wednesday on and kind of meditate on. But, you know, one of the things, especially when you look at today's culture, right, if you're gifted with that gift of intelligence, unfortunately, we see in academia today, then they think they're smarter than God. And really, that people who are, you know, faithful and, and believe in, in God and, and, you know, use 
faith as their foundation are really weak-minded and simple people. And Thomas really blows that out of the water, doesn't he? Well, well, he sure does, because myself in the late 1970s and my late teens, you know, I, I fell for some of this. I read some of the wrong philosophers, atheists like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Ayn Rand, Bertrand Russell, and, and others that argued just that, that, that we need to operate by our reason, you know, be bold, be independent thinkers, and that faith and religion was somehow, you know, caving in, not, not using your mind. So I was kind of led down the wrong path for, for 25 years by these kind of people, until I read St. Thomas Aquinas, and I realized this is a man, an utter master of human reason, you know, of logic, of the science of his day, but showed how beautifully it's integrated with the faith, so that, so that if you embrace the Catholic faith, you're not giving up your intellect at all. In fact, you're, you're perfecting it. So that's why, yeah, Thomas is so valuable for our day. And, and I think another reason he's so valuable is that yeah, yeah. Some people will try to say, you know, science and, and reason are opposed to to uh, faith and, and religion, uh, but and not be really willing to listen to people with the opposite perspective. So, so many people who who denigrate the faith don't really know it very well. But a characteristic of Saint Thomas Aquinas that's especially seen in his greatest work, the Summa Theologica, whenever he gives his opinion on any subject. He starts by what he calls these objections, and he gives opposing people's views, and he gives them in great detail. He gives them you know, beautifully and, and powerfully argues them, but then he may show where he feels that they fall short, where they miss the point. He gives you his own opinion and very, very respectfully uh, addresses the opinions that came uh, that opposed his. So he's just a wonderful, wonderful model for us today to be open to listening to other people, people with different opinions from us but then to exercise our judgment, to exercise our reason, and to appeal to the lessons of scriptures to come up with the, the fullness of truth. Well, to exercise reason today, right? Way too many people take whatever they hear on social media or news channels, right? They, they take things verbatim. They don't think critically. And by studying St. Thomas, and, and as you mentioned, right, he, he does the opposing view, and then he does his reasoning to show truth. It really can help us to think critically because we have way too many people today. They're just like lemming. They just want to follow the crowd as opposed to think for themselves and really kind of reason things out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Thomas, you know, in, in some ways was the opposite of a lemming or a sheep. But what he did, he was absolutely willing to to listen to the other opinions, to to try to understand where those people are coming from rather than just ignore them, but then to respectfully address them. You know, to try to correct them when they're wrong, to, to praise them with, with, for things they got right. So, yeah, Thomas is a beautiful model for us today to, to really, you know, use our God-given powers of intellect to try to arrive at, at truth. And, and as Thomas said, too, he said, you know, faith and reason, uh, they both arrive at truths, and the truths never contradict. Uh, faith can lead us to, to, to some truths that reason alone can't reach, you know, well, like the fact of the Trinity, the fact that, that God became man through Jesus Christ. So we obviously, we, we need them both. We need faith and reason. But by embracing faith, that should never imply that we're rejecting the powers of human reason. And, you know, and you go through these meditations and, and you read, uh, you read St. Thomas and, and you really think about it, you know, he everything was focused on Christ, right? As you go through these meditations, he starts off, you know, with death, fasting, uh, you know, the crown of thorns. It really is an appreciation for putting God first and realizing that 
we have to die to self if we actually want to come in, in greater relationship with our Lord. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So in these meditations, you know, we encounter Thomas, you know, not so much as the philosopher or the great theologian, though, though you do see it. He's very, very logical. You know, he, he describes lists of different ways things are shown, things like that, which, which I personally love. But but also, but in more importantly, you are seeing Christ, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas as the saint, as a saint who loves Christ and who wants to draw from the lessons of Christ's uh, life, of Christ's words and teachings, and to share those with us. Part of his great calling as a Dominican, he said, was to share with others the fruits of his contemplation. So I think we see this really beautifully done in this book, yeah, there, there's a meditation for every single day of Lent. They, they, they're typically about two pages long, and they're pretty accessible. You're, you're not getting Thomas's deep philosophical language of matter and form and potency and act and things like that. It's not that at all. He's focusing primarily on, on Scripture and on teachings of the Church Fathers. And yet there's enough, I think, in each of those two pages, that meditation, that, yeah, if you started that early in the morning, it will give you plenty to chew on, to, to ruminate, you know, to ponder again throughout the day in ways that will draw you closer to Christ, you know, every day as Lent progresses. And as you mentioned before, he, he was a preacher and he did speak to the common people. So he had that unique ability to be able to speak at a high intellectual level, but also to people who maybe not are quite at that level. And some people, you know, can only do one or the other, but he really had that gift to be able to reach such a broad audience. Yeah, he, he really did. And another thing that, that shows through in this book, is I love a saying that one of the, the uh, popes uh, said about St. Thomas Aquinas is that, you know, he so loved all the church fathers that came before him that in a way he inherited the intellect of all of them. You know, he, he just absorbed their teachings, and he beautifully presents them. So if I can give one, one quick example here, one that really caught my eye on something simple, just the image of Christ, you know, on a crucifix, that, that, uh, that Thomas relates something that St. Bernard of Clairvaux had written about the crucifix. So I'll, I'll quote here briefly. St. Bernard says, Who is not carried away to hope and confidence in prayer when he looks on the crucifix and sees how our Lord hangs there? the head bent as though to kiss, the arms outstretched in embrace, the hands pierced to give, the side opened to love, the feet nailed to remain with us. You know, so, so this book is just full of these gems. So, so now every time I look at a crucifix, that's one thing that crosses my mind, something I never had before. You know, all that beautiful uh, symbolism and imagery that the great church father, St. Bernard, passed on to us. Well, and that's where if you spend time in this meditation, you're, you're going to see things from a different perspective, hopefully, and something that we can carry on. I mean, these are great Lent meditations, but these are things we need to do year round, right? I mean, we, we spend the time in Lent, hopefully, in self-denial and, and putting Christ first and denying ourselves, you know, something that we like, but for the greater good. And it's really something we need to carry on. Lent, Lent is great 40-day period, but if we just stop at Lent and wait till the next Lent, we're really wasting an opportunity, aren't we? Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Lent, you know, should should prepare us, but for you know, and we should embrace some suffering and fasting and in spiritual growth. But then that growth needs to. But then we have Easter, we have the joyous celebration, and we need to to live in Christ throughout the rest of the year. So yes, I think a book like this, too, if, if we take it seriously and read it every day, 
should set that stage for continued spiritual reading and meditation uh, you know, every day of the year. And I will say for, for Thomas himself, it just calls to mind other sermons that, that he gave just to, to common people. I think these were given in, in Naples, Italy, you know, many centuries ago in the 1200s. They were collected in another book that Sophia puts out called the, the, um, the Aquinas Catechism. And in there, his sermons focus on just like fleshing out the meaning of our common church prayers, the, the uh, Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Creed, you know. So it's those kind of beautiful little lessons that, that we can study every day of the year. They come into our prayer every day of the year. You know, we find so many of these prayers at, at Mass throughout the year. So, so yes, I think that, the, that if we do develop a practice of Lenten meditation, it needs to carry on exactly throughout the rest of the year. And again, I think, you know, the other books, you know, the, especially, you know, the one you wrote, How to Think Like Aquinas, all these things just help us grow in appreciation for, one, how much he loved Christ, but how much he wanted to share that knowledge with everybody else, right? He could have easily just kept it to himself and meditated on it, but he was really worried about all souls and, and, and everybody's salvation. And that's what really comes across when you read him and you see how, how much time and effort he put into trying to relate to us so that he can bring us closer to Christ. Yeah, that is absolutely true. You know, and his writings are, all of his writings are logical. They make sense. They're very, very rational and, and they're full of insights. I read Thomas, I think, wow, I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of all those impl implications, you know, so, so that's always there. But, but this book like these meditations are all just like full of beautiful symbolism. If I, if I can give another one, uh, right after Thomas shares what St. Bernard said about Christ on the crucifix, he then gives us a, a meditation on Christ, you know, as the rock. And Thomas uh, quotes the line, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, Canticle of Canticles, uh, 2.14. says, Come, my dove, in the clefts of the rock. And then Thomas says, it is in the wounds of Christ that the church builds her nest and waits, for it is in the passion of our Lord that she places her hope of salvation, and thereby trusts to be protected from the craft of the falcon, that is, the devil. So, so all these aspects of Christ on the cross, on the crucifix, uh, Thomas gives a meditation on on why the scripture says that Christ's side was opened as opposed to wounded, because that's opening to us the, the gate of heaven. So I think when you go through this book of meditations, if you look at a crucifix, if you, if you see a whole variety of scriptural verses, they're likely to take on you know a new depth of meaning, and they're presented here often in very beautiful ways. Well, and you know, just for example, I think the uh, it was the uh, second. Uh, Friday or the Friday after the second Sunday of Lent, there's something called the Feast of the Holy Winding Sheet, right? I mean, it gives us, makes us think of things that you would easily gloss over uh, in our in our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. That we can meditate on some simple things, but really draw us in deeper than we could have ever imagined. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the book is full of it. Yes, another feast that I, that I briefly mentioned was the Feast of the Holy Lance and the Nails of the Lord, which is the first Friday after the first Sunday of Lent. And here, Thomas starts with, with a, quoting John 19, 34. 
one of the soldiers with the spear opened his side, and immediately there came out blood and water. Then, then as I mentioned, Thomas says the gospel deliberately says opened and not wounded, because through our Lord's side there was opened to us the gate of eternal life. Then he cites Revelation 4.1, After these things I looked, and behold, a gate was opened to heaven. So again, the book is just you know, is absolutely full uh, of these gems regarding almost everything related to Christ's uh, uh, passion, death, and resurrection. Well, as you mentioned, the, the beauty of it is there there are several, you know, many scriptural rev, uh, references. You know, there are different saints that are quoted. So you're not only reading Aquinas, but you're reading other saints, and you're getting you're getting all this biblical. Uh, scripture to help us tie everything together and 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 to help us see things from different perspectives that that help us to again grow in our relationship with Christ. But more than that, you know, stop taking the focus on ourselves and focus on our faith and the formation. Oh, oh, absolutely. And if I can just read, you know, one other brief excerpt. There's one I really love that just in a few sentences, Thomas is sharing us insights from the great Saint Augustine. Uh, from a St. Hilary and also from one of the great Eastern uh, Church Fathers, St. John Chrysostom. So here, here's Thomas, St. Augustine on Christ and the two thieves on their crosses. So Augustine says, the cross itself was a tribunal. In the center was the judge. To one side was a man who believed and was set free. To the other side, a scoffer, and he was condemned. Then Thomas says, St. Hilary says this typifies the whole of humanity in reference to believers and non-believers, the believers being saved by justifying faith. And then beautifully, Thomas concludes with a statement from St. John Chrysostom. So St. John Chrysostom chimes in saying that to convert the thief on the cross and to turn him to paradise was as great a miracle as the earthquake that occurred at Jesus' death. So I just love that that imagery. You know, we have these, you know, the temple, uh, the veil in the temple was torn. The earth shook at Christ's death. But our great church father tells us, yes, but remember also, a, a sinner, hours from death, is raised to heaven through Christ's power on that cross as well. Well, just as he, you know, absolved that the, the, the sinner, it's a reminder to us, especially during the Lenten season, that it really is our sinfulness that separates us from Christ. And it's that repentance, that that coming to Jesus and, and being humble like the like the repentant thief, that we need to follow in those same footsteps. We don't need to look at him and say, wow, that's nice. We need to look at him and say, hey, that's us. Oh, yeah, precisely, precisely. And another lesson there, you know, applying it to us, Thomas talks about the washing of the feet. And he cites John 13, 14. Now, if I then, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you must also also wash one another's feet, Jesus says. And Thomas says, St. Augustine says, every man ought to wash the feet of his fellows. But he says, either actually or in spirit. So Thomas says, well, how so? How in spirit? And Thomas says, number one, by forgiving offenses this person has done to you. And he cites Colossians 3.13. He says, number two, we wash other people's feet spiritually by praying for the forgiveness of sins. And he cites James uh, 5.16 there. And then Thomas says, number three, a priest by the authority, uh, by forgiving sins through the powers of the keys, Christ gave the church, you know, as in the sacrament of reconciliation. And then, then Thomas cites John 20, 22 to 23. 
So, so for all these little acts associated with the passion, you know, we're getting this great depth of understanding from Scripture and from church fathers that, that St. Thomas so graciously passes on to us. Well, and it really is a way to kind of immerse ourselves uh, during the Lenten season, and again, beyond, but specifically since Lent is coming up, immerse ourselves in focusing on Christ. And we live in a world, right, that, you know, nobody likes to be told no, everybody, you know, wears their emotions on their sleeves. And so this is a way, especially I think it it works well for families with maybe older kids to do this as a family activity and, and pray and discuss and talk about this as each of the 40 days of Lent. Oh, I think that's an absolutely beautiful idea because, you know, it, it could be read by various family members possibly taking turns. Again, each meditation is maybe a couple of pages or so, but almost I can guarantee something in there is going to strike one member of the family. Maybe maybe different members will pick up on different little little messages in there. So what a beautiful way uh, to go through them. I love that suggestion going through this these meditations day by day as a family. Well, it really is our obligation, right, as parents or grandparents, or, you know, if we have kids in the house. We are supposed to be the leaders. We're supposed to be the main teachers. And it, we can't, you know, relegate that duty to schools and, and hope, you know, kids are going to turn out okay if we're not going to show how important faith is in our lives and make it a central focus of our family. Then, you know, really, we're, we're not fulfilling our obligation. And in the end, we'll be judged on that. Oh, that, that is so right, you know, and, and Thomas being Thomas, in a sense, he's even, you know, given us a reflection, in a sense, on that idea, how we're all called to be preachers, you know, to pass on the gospel. He has meditation about the Samaritan woman at, at the well, and he quotes John four twenty eight, where he says, the woman left her water, par, water pot and went her way into the city. So Thomas has noticed this. She surrendered entirely, leaving her things lying there. So great was her absorption, you know, in Jesus, as was the case for the apostles who were said to have dropped their fishing nets to follow Jesus. He says, number two, this is also shown by the multitude of people to whom she tells the news. She said, not to a few, but to the whole city. So she, she learns this good news of Christ. She wants to drop things that aren't important and go spread that news. But then he says, notice too her particular methods of preaching. And of course, we remember Thomas as part of the order of preachers where they take this very seriously. But just to give a few highlights, he says, number one, the Samaritan woman invites them to look upon Christ. She says, come and see a man, asking them to see with their own eyes, uh, not to believe something that they might have found blasphemous. If she just said, here's Christ, you know, I I found God. So it's inviting people to take a look, to think about things on their own. Number two, he says, she gives uh, them a hint that Christ is God. Quote, a man who has told me all things, whatever I have done, you know, like the number of her husband, and she's not ashamed of it. Thomas says, because the soul, once it is lighted up with the divine fire, in no way looks to earthly values and standards. So in a sense, he's telling us, even if we're sinners, you know, we can proclaim uh, Christ, you know, with, without shame, you know, since he absolves our sins. And number three on her method of preaching, Thomas says, she suggests that this proves that the mastery of Christ saying, is he not the Christ? You know, she asks it as a question. He says she doesn't want to leave the impression that, you know, she is some grand teacher. She questions the people and prompts them to use their own judgment. 
So we're going to find this kind of thing again and again throughout this book, taking simple episodes, laying them out, you know, pointing out things that I myself certainly would not have thought of without Thomas's guidance. Well, wasn't it towards the end of his life he had a vision of Christ and, and something about, you know, all he viewed all his writings as straw at that point because when he met Christ, even as great as we think his writings are, he realized they're nothing in comparison to Christ. That's right. Near the end of his life, he did have a vision of Christ, and it said that, you know, uh, Christ asked Thomas, you know, what he wanted of him. He said, you've written well. What, what would you ask of me? And Thomas answers, you know, only you, only you, Lord. But then at that point, yes, Thomas, he did not write again. He told his friends and Reginald of Perperno and others that all his writings seemed like straw at that point. And some people say, interpret it to mean, oh, he, you know, he renounced his writings. And, and I don't think that's the case. I think Thomas is saying, you know, he, he did the best to understand God based upon our, our, our human capacity here on earth. But he was given a glimpse, you know, he was given a glimpse of the beatific vision, which cannot be expressed uh, in words. And I think it's a, a beautiful thought and, and something we can continue to meditate on. So we're down to the last couple minutes or so. But what are some other resources? I know you've written books on uh, St. Thomas Aquinas so that people can get to understand the man, the saint, and you know just how important he is in, and can be in our development, in our faith. Yeah, well, I often say, you know, people who want to read Thomas directly at a very accessible level— this Latin Meditations book and a book called uh, the Aquinas Catechism are great, great go-tos. Uh, as far as, you know, many of my own books try to kind of popularize St. Thomas and to, to uh, you know, present him to modern readers in a way that's not quite so daunting. So I have written books called uh, How to Think Like Aquinas, uh, another one called Twelve Life Lessons from St. Thomas Aquinas that addresses a variety of topics. Uh, I did a book, uh, Aquinas, on the four last things that might be helpful for Lent, where we are led into Thomas's in-depth analysis of death, judgment, uh, heaven, and hell. And I'll also say I did just do a book for Catholic Answers uh, last year called What is God? that, that goes through Thomas's first 26 questions of the Summa Theologica, looking at the attributes of God, what it means to say God is all-powerful, all-loving, eternal, and so forth. So Thomas is just like an endless, uh, an endless source of wisdom. And once a person is dipped in there too, then they might also venture their way into his most magnificent of writings, such as his Master's Summa Theologica, and also beautiful books that he wrote commenting on biblical books, especially uh, the Gospels of John and Matthew. How can people follow what you're doing, Kevin, and see all the materials you have available? Well, yeah, I have uh, my own websites, drvost.com, just drvost.com. I, I will say the majority of my books are put out by Sophia Institute Press. So at sophiainstitute.com, I think you'll see 12 or 13 of my books now, along with their other wonderful books, including Aquinas' Lenten Meditation. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. 